Good afternoon. Welcome to Gambling with an Edge. I'm Bob Dancer. And I'm Richard Munchkin. Our guest today is a part-time blackjack player, former golf hustler, although that might be not the right word, and uh, he's going to tell us about his advantage plays through the years. Uh, he goes by Socrates on the Blackjack Discord. Socrates, welcome to Gambling with an Edge. Thank you. Happy to be here. Before we get into talking to Socrates, there was a Twitter blasting in Richard's account saying, why the hell don't he and I give people the nuts and bolts of slot AP plays? So, Richard, why don't we do that? <laughs> yeah, well, um, you know, first of all, we get a lot of flack already from people saying we talk too much about slots. Um, and we really, I feel like we're not really saying much of anything other than the fact that uh, advantage slot play exists. So, uh, but the other thing I, that I mentioned on Twitter is that the people that I know that know a lot about slots are certainly not willing to talk about the nuts and bolts of which machines they play and how they calculate their edge and things like that. So um, the Blackjack Roundtable was very popular. We will do things like that um, in the future. But this suggestion of a slot roundtable, uh, you know, for now, I don't see anybody wanting to participate in that, even though I know there are many, many people in the audience who would love to hear it because they would like to know more about how to gain advantages at slots. Yeah, I would certainly like to know more about that, too. And uh, my current slot AP knowledge is somewhere in the negligible range. So I have already shared with our audience everything I know about slot APs. I uh, I do know enough on them, but if, a, uh, if it's a $50 um, must-hit buy and it's at $49.90, I should definitely sit down. But those opportunities don't come around very often, so I... Uh, I can't tell you anything more than that. All right, let's talk to Socrates. Socrates was born in Santa Monica, California, which is near where I grew up, although um, he was uh, quite a bit younger than me, still is. Um, so let's talk about golf. Uh, were you a golf hustler? Um, I, I define hustler as someone who's disguising their skill, and um, I don't think I really had the opportunity – to disguise my skill very much. So I don't know if I would call myself a hustler, but uh, definitely um, folks tried to hustle me uh, when I was younger. And um, I think that, you know, there was definitely times where I tried to do some hustling, but it, it never really worked out. <laughs> but you started so making money at golf pretty quickly. Yeah, when I was younger, um, so I I grew up across the street from a from a golf course, uh, and so I started playing golf at a really young age, and I would just hang out there all the time. And um, when um, yeah, when people saw me out there, and I started kind of gaining some notoriety from you know my skills, uh, folks definitely approached me to you know to gamble and 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 play games and. Um, and play for money. So how did you get the money to gamble with when you were 
a teenager? So it all started actually when uh, I joined the men's club there. Um, one of the my mentors in golf said, hey, you should join the men's club and and play. You know, it's in good competition. They're older guys and, um, you know, it's a good way to you know prepare for tournaments. And so uh, I remember the first time I joined, they had a big progressive uh, in the men's club. And the progressive was uh, the progressive was you, you had to birdie three of the holes that was randomly picked out of a hat. And uh, the very first time I, I had joined, um, and this was the very first day, it was a Saturday. Uh, and at the end of the day, they, they picked the, the, the numbers out of the hat. And I happened to have picked the holes or the holes that they picked happened to be the ones that uh, I birdied. And then I won, I think a, it was like a year long progressive that nobody had ever won. Um, and so the very first day I won like 400 bucks as a teenager. And wow, that's uh, pretty, that's pretty small for a progressive that had been going on for a year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, you know, I think they took like 10 bucks out of everybody's membership to go towards that progressive. Um, but yeah, I think that's, that's where my bankroll started. <laughs> Uh, my parents helped, you know, pay the, the membership for the men's club, which was like 60 or 70 bucks. And, um, yeah, I think I was kind of off to the races from there. So did they, how did they determine if you really birdied those holes? Was it looking at your scorecard? Was it the honor system or were there, they, they, it was too small to have monitors. So what did they do? Yeah. So they, yeah, it would be off your scorecard. So, um, yeah, and I think it was gross. I can't remember if it was a gross or a net score, but um, yeah, they picked the the three three random holes, and if you happen to have birdied those holes, they verified it through the scorecard. And um, yeah, I happen to be the one to to actually birdie those holes. But um, also in golf, in golf, don't you have to you're out in a foursome, and don't you have to sign each other's scorecards or whatever? So and they don't pick the holes till after it's over. So um, you know, I, I don't see much uh, skullduggery going on, and especially over four hundred dollars. No, no, yeah. But they were they were all kind of laughing because I I mean I was by far the youngest in the in the club. Uh, I think the next youngest was in their twenties. I was like thirteen or fourteen at the time, and uh, they're all laughing just because you know, here's this thirteen year old who joined and day one wins this progressive and walks away four hundred bucks. Um, yeah. So how did they try to hustle you on this golf course at this men's club? Yeah, it was mainly through net games. Um, and they would, I mean, they would just structure it where there would be point systems at the end of the uh, the match. And then they would, you know, they'd press at times when they have a an extra shot, uh, you know, on the right hole. And, you know, you can kind of gain an advantage that way. Um even if you're not a great player. And how did that work for them? I mean, did you see it coming? Were you able to? You know, um, it. I didn't really see it coming the first time around. Um, I always thought that my skill level, it was, you know, growing up when you're playing and, and you're, you're really good at the game, you're, you're, it's, it, you don't even think about handicap. You just think about how good you are and that 
you kind of have this ego that you're going to be better than the the guy you're playing. And even if you give them, you know, a bunch of strokes, you're still going to beat them because you're just that much better. But then after realizing that I didn't, uh, I, even with all the strokes, I couldn't kind of keep up with them. That's when I started figuring out there's actually an edge you can create by making the game before the, you know, before the game even starts. So when did, I mean, yeah, in talking to other golfers, it's like kind of like pool, right? It's all about how you match up and it, that ability to make the right matches is going to determine your success. Uh, at, at what point did you start, when did you start betting serious money and um, what did that get up to? Uh, it, it, I, I never start, I really never bet like for a lot of money. I never would give people a lot of gamble. Um, it was more so when I saw there was an advantage I'd play. I mean, I, it was never in the, like, I mean, I, I guess you could, I don't know what's considered serious money. I, I was playing for a few thousand bucks, um, not that long ago, but growing up, you know, I never had that much money, uh, in, in high school. Um, when I was a teenager, it was more so people would come up to me. I would, I would, I would play and, uh, you know, it'd be 50 or hundred bucks. Do you ever believe you were cheated by people trying to hustle you at there was uh, a guy, taking too many shots? Or something? Yeah. Yeah. There was a guy who would come every week to the club and he would just literally, he would drive, he, he would he would drive about 40 minutes to come play with me, and uh, he at the time would say that he was qualifying for the Canadian tour or something, and he was not good enough to be on on tour, but he thought he was, and so uh, yeah he'd drive like 40 minutes to come play with me, and I would wait for him, and we'd play like almost every day, and um, I don't think he won much at all i think like nine out of ten times i would beat him and uh he would he would yeah he would put vaseline on his driver and uh uh do everything he can to to win and i knew about it but i just kind of let him because he just wasn't that good and didn't have the skill sets to beat me um yeah and then he started uh then he started taking uh hundred dollar bills with him to like pretty much like gain an edge through not paying me fully. So he would say, Hey, at the end of the match, could you break a hundred? And, um, yeah, he, what I would do was, uh, at the time I didn't have that, the, the cash to break a hundred. So, uh, he would kind of see that he could get away with that. But then I started bringing change for a hundred and uh, he would say, can you break 100? And I would say, yeah, actually, I can. <laughs> and uh, and then he, after that, he's, he realized his, his gig was kind of up. <laughs> okay, but so, um, yeah. I mean, when did you start gambling seriously? Um, like in casinos or? Well, it, I, did you ever get to the point where you were gambling seriously at golf or? I was, I mean, I would, I would play professionally, um, but never like gambling for a ton of money. Um, it was only like, I mean, I'd only play like in the, yeah, for hundreds of dollars or maybe a couple thousand, but nothing crazy. 
Because it, it always – I mean I always felt like if I could pl- learn to play golf that there was enormous amounts of money to be made there. But it sounds like your actual advantage play started later, and now that you've kind of learned more about advantage play, do you think about going back to those golf courses and you know, trying to make serious money at golf? That's a great question. Um, so – yeah, at the country club I, I belong to, there's a few members who play for, you know, significant amount of money. And for me, it's always been a uh, – it's different to lose money when you're gambling at a casino because the results seem like they're somewhat out of your control versus when you play with someone for a lot of money on the golf course and you lose – it's, it's just a different feeling. And I never, I was never really good at handling a loss, even though I knew I had an advantage. I I, I just losing, losing money at, at the golf course just never sat well with me. And I think that's because in control. Yeah. Yeah. There's also a difference between winning money from a casino and winning money from an individual. And, you know, to, to really, maximize your earning potential when you're playing against individuals you want to seek out people who basically are degenerate gamblers and and for me like in backgammon that got really kind of distasteful um and often they were really sort of awful people who i did not want to be around definitely uh there's you know, there's the guys at the club, they're good guys. You don't want to take a bunch of money and then, you know, feel guilty that you're, you know, taking money from their, uh, they're, you know, putting food on the plate with their kids or anything like that. So there, there is some of that for sure. Uh, and then there's reputation, right? So I have, you know, a, a career and, um, you know, I do business with folks at the club. And so I become that guy who's taken thousands of dollars off other people. It's just, it's not a good look. Um, but that, that said, I, yeah, I was in a putting game with some guys the other day and, um, you know, we set up a, a, a good game and I felt like I had an advantage and we played for a, you know, a nominal amount of money. Um, but I try and limit how much I gamble out there just because of reputation and, and I don't really like take I, I again it's like I don't like taking money from individuals as much as I do from casinos. Now Socrates you're married. Does your wife have any problem with you gambling at golf or anything else? She doesn't. Um I think at first, you know, with casinos, she uh you know, she was hesitant at first. Um you know, like anybody out there it's if you're if you're gambling there's always the risk of of losing money and you know if you don't understand why you're doing it then there's there's a natural you know hesitancy towards it the hesitancy was there uh but i think once she saw that i was winning consistently and that there's an actual you know uh, advantage there that it started to make sense and then she started you know joining me on plays so how did that happen how did you get involved in was blackjack your entree to advantage play I actually it was poker. That was my entree. Um, I kind of grew up towards the, during the poker boom. And, um, when I was a teenager, I had an account, 
on poker stars and some of the other events when online poker was, was, uh, was going on. And, uh, then I started going to the casino and, uh, I, yeah, I learned, learned to play blackjack, learned to count cards. Um, and yeah, I guess that was my entree. And how did that happen? How did you go from, how did you hear about blackjack? What, what did you do? Did, what book did you get? How did you learn? Yeah. Um, I learned, I started learning blackjack, uh, when I watched the movie 21, uh, like many folks out there. And I, uh, I went to the casino like a week later cause it was right around my, uh, birthday and I was old enough to gamble. Uh, I, I went to the casino, didn't know what I was doing, lost my money, then picked up a book. I think it was a Cardoza book just on basic strategy. And then from there, I went and practiced basic strategy for several hours at the casino and then perfected it and then learned like the counting aspect of things, but never really took it seriously until a few years ago. Um, so I was, I was a net loser at blackjack probably until 2019. And what happened then? I, so I, I, there's a new casino that, that opened up near my house and I started playing there, uh, in actually craps and was a, a small loser there. Um, and got tired of kind of grinding it out there and then went home one day and started throwing cards on the table. And from there, I picked up a book. Um, it's a black belt on blackjack by Arnold Snyder. And I, I started reading the book, got really involved into it and yeah, started practicing and playing at the casino. I took $800 with me and won first nine out of 10 sessions. So I got really lucky. And <laughs> I'd say so. I, if you had lost nine out of 10 sessions, do you think you'd still be playing? I don't know if I, 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 if I felt like I had an advantage, I think I still would have given it another try. I do. Um, cause I'm, I'm the type of person that if I believe in what I'm doing, I will, I will stick it out and see it through the end. Did, did you recognize at the time nine out of 10 wins was exceptionally lucky or did you figure, well, I'm a smart guy. I've been working hard. I deserve this. This is the way it's supposed to be. Definitely a little bit of both. Um, I, I feel like for sure I, I was getting lucky, but I didn't know how lucky I was getting. Right. I thought maybe this is somewhat normal, but then, <laughs> you know, like maybe, maybe this is you know somewhat close to uh, the average, but it's, it's certainly not. <laughs> And did you hit a losing streak at some point? Yeah, so I, I turned that eight hundred dollars into about ten thousand, and then from ten thousand, I went on about a hundred and seventy-hour losing streak, um, where I or basically broke even after one hundred and seventy hours. And any thoughts at that point, like this sucks, or I quit? Well, obviously, you didn't quit, but no, I didn't quit. Um, I, at that point, I just, I felt like, yeah, maybe I should look at something else or changing up my strategy. Um, I did join blackjack apprenticeship, uh, a few months after I started counting. So I, 
definitely was part of a community that uh, was well-versed in understanding that you can have 200-hour losing streaks pretty easily. So it uh, it kept me, you know, gave me motivation to keep going after it. So you're playing mainly at your local shop at this point? No. Um, I was backed off after about 700 hours there. Um, That's I, a lot. <laughs> 700. Yeah. Although you were betting small and – and in I the beginning, betting. we don't even we don't really know whether you were actually playing with an edge, right? Um, yeah. In the beginning, I mean, in the beginning, the first year the casino was opened, I was probably just a net loser. Um, and then I started really making money, and uh, that, yeah, I, I took about six figures from that casino, and it was small at first, but I ramped up my bets considerably to the point where I was doing three hands of table max. Yeah. Well, I guess all those hours in the beginning of playing craps and, you know, not doing well must've really helped for you to be able to take six figures out ultimately. Yeah. There, um, there's definitely, uh, something to be said about building rapport with the staff and showing yourself in the casino and being, um, being a kind of a, a welcomed customer. So did they 86 you? Did they flat bet you? How did they deal with you winning six figures? They flat betted me. Um, it was actually, I was exactly, I was just over a hundred thousand dollars and I had lost like 1500 bucks that session. So it got me to like 99,800 and then they, they pulled me aside and flat betted me. But did they flyer you? They did not flyer me, um, and they said I could play any other game, and what, I went straight away from there to the crafts table and won like an extra 600 bucks and actually got above 100000 and then walked out. <laughs> and so, you're thinking of uh, at going to the crap table was – I think it was just – again, I didn't really know uh, what – to do to at that point. I mean, it was my thinking was, well, if I show them that I can play other games and that I'm willing to give them the best of it sometimes, maybe they'll look at me more favorably in the future when I'm doing another advanced play. And you realize that that was not a good strategy, I hope, after that? or <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, in, in hindsight, in hindsight, I would have probably not counted and I would have done more advanced plays like hole carding and things like that um, before that. But I didn't know about those other advanced plays until um, several hundred hours in. So you mentioned hole carding. How did you learn that? Um, I picked up Beyond Counting, James Grosjean. The CAA or? The first one or the? The second one, Yeah. And and you knew about that just through the the forum at at Blackjack Apprenticeship or? Well, I ran into a card counter when I was in Vegas actually, and um, we started networking, and I think he mentioned it, and I started doing some research and figuring out other ways because at that time I was pretty devastated from not you know from losing my local shop. So I thought, well, if I learn the other plays and they still let me play. These other games, I might as well try it and see see what I can do. And so, 
I took some time off and learned how to whole card, uh, and then brought that back to the same casino. <laughs> oh, wow. And did they let you play for any length of time? They let me play for at least another 150 hours. Yeah. Wow. And I took another probably 50,000 from them, let's say. Um, I'm, I'm guessing that you were not playing blackjack when you went back. Correct. Yeah, I mean the danger of that is you you now wake them up to the to the move, right? And yeah, obviously they had already seen me as an AP. Um, right. But it's surprising though how long I got. If you think about 150 hours and still to make what I made, it was like, I mean at that point, I mean again looking back, I wouldn't have done that, and I don't recommend anybody do that. I just. Uh, yeah, you know, well, you were was... still fairly new, so. Yeah. Uh, so how so did tell you me it the... is why you wouldn't recommend anybody do that. Making $50,000 in 150 hours sounds like a worthy use of your time. It was. No, I mean, I, I wouldn't recommend anybody go that route after, you know, if you're going to do advanced plays, do that before the counting, right? Well, Don't no, go but count and expose yeah, yourself. You and don't then know. You don't do that. You don't know it until you learn it. But the thing is, Bob, it's rare that they're going to let you do that, right? And if you go back into a place where they already know you're an AP and you sit at some other game, they're going to – most places are going to go, wait a minute. This guy's not here to gamble. What is he doing? Oh, now we can shut down these other games that he's just showed us were vulnerable. So – um, yeah, I would not recommend somebody do that either. There are plenty of other casinos to go ply your trade. and uh, But again, we learn these things as we go, right? If, um, I'm curious, when you met the other counter in Las Vegas, was that one of those things where you just saw him at the table and you realized, uh, you know, oh, this guy's also counting and – yeah, yeah, that, that yeah, it pretty much. Um, I was actually there with my cousin, who I had employed uh, to to back count tables for me, and so yeah, I was I was there, and um, I saw I noticed him, and then you know we kind of quickly got off the table and we met outside. Very good. This seems like a good time to break for commercials, although some of our audience believes there's never a good time to break for commercials. But we'll be right back talking to Socrates. The South Point has more than 10,000 games returning more than 99%. All of their games are open now, so there's the full 10,000 plus. This is more than anyone else has. Mondays through Thursdays, 3 a.m. to 3 a.m. in June, there's the $500,000 spin to win promotion. For each $2,000 coin in, limit four per person per day, you receive a virtual spin right on your machine. You earn free play or points. The past year, the average spin was about $12. So far this year, the average spin has been about $9. You want to, if you're ever in town on the weekends, you want to give your email address to the South Point booth. Two or three times a year, they have free play blast to everybody in there uh, who's given them an email gets $20 each week for any given month. 
And so if you're somebody's going to be in town, uh, going to a casino to pick up $20 isn't the worst way to spend your time. Hey guys, this is Colin from blackjackapprenticeship.com. And if you're serious about card counting, I'd encourage you to check out the Blackjack Apprenticeship membership. It has the training tools you'll need to beat the game, like our comprehensive video course and our training suite, so you can learn each skill and virtually test yourself before ever stepping foot in a casino. It also includes the tools you'll need to succeed, like our pro betting software, casino database, results tracking software, and access to a community of like-minded advantage players to network with in our members forum and chat room software. You can find out more at blackjackapprenticeship.com. At videopoker.com, it's the best place to play lots of games. If you sign up for the gold membership, $8.95 a month or $79.95 a year, this allows you to get correction on most of the games. The game of the week is Max Action Poker, where you pay 6 to 10 coins per line, and all the pay schedule categories from three of a kind and up are bumped. You get a more valuable game the more coins you play. You also get more variants. It will require learning an entirely new strategy. Since flushes and straights pay so much more than you're used to, your intuition will be way off on how to play the hands. It will not be particularly difficult as existing video poker software is fully capable of creating a new strategy for you. The highest paying versions are slightly less than 99%, which is not attractive, but the games will overhold so much that per perhaps the Theo offered by the casino will make the game worthwhile. You'll have to check this out for yourself. We're back talking with Socrates. You mentioned you hired a cousin to back count tables, so that is team play of sorts. Do you have any other experience with team play? Yeah, after I uh, got really into card counting, I trained my really good friend um, how to count. And so we've done a lot of team plays together, some spotter BP stuff. And then, um, also I've done some, some team whole carding plays with some folks on the forum. So you were able to, um, uh, form a network basically through the forum and that has turned out to be a beneficial thing for you. Yeah. I mean, it's good to network with folks. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm working on building a, a, a bigger team and, and, and bankrolling some folks. But, um, yeah, it's been it's definitely been good. So um, uh, when you trained your – you decided to train your cousin to back count for you, and that just uh, – like, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm having trouble – following your progression here because basically you were kind of a losing player who started playing small and then suddenly you know you're you're doing back counting plays and winning a hundred thousand dollars and you know what i mean <laughs> it's just uh, a, a little bit uh, uh a hard time following the progression so when did that come about how did you decide to do that and how did that all work out Sure. At the time, I was winning significantly at my local shop where I was close to winning to getting the hundred thousand. This is actually before I had gotten backed off completely. Uh, we were doing some team plays at other casinos um, in the area and in in Vegas and in California. Um, and so, yeah, he he actually was visiting from 
uh, a country in South America because my my uh, my family is from uh, from from Argentina. So uh, yeah, we. We, we utilize some of the fact, some of the skills and, and the fact that he speaks Spanish uh, to, to be able to communicate uh, in front of people that we knew were likely not Spanish speakers. We would do signals. But, uh, yeah, it started with me just, you know, sharing with him how he could make money on an hourly basis by, by back counting tables. Yeah, uh, the other thing I'm curious about is um, you mentioned that you learned about Exhibit CAA, you bought the book, and you went out and started hole carding. Now, I can't tell you how many people uh, email or come on forums or whatever and say, I go out and look and I can never see anything, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. But it sounds like you were able to go out and see things. So yeah. – um, why, why do you think they have that problem or why do you think you didn't? It's a good question. Um, I, I, I think it was hard for me to actually find and see it at first. I think it was, you know, through listening to the show and seeing kind of like and, and, and hearing how you find sometimes these cards that you can see it. I mean, I, I just remember walking up to my first game and seeing the dealer pull the card out of the, the tray and just saying, wow, this is, uh, this can be utilized. And, uh, and then, you know, you make some mistakes along the way, you know, you got to figure out what card, you know, the dealers, uh, showing and, and do that with some relative accuracy. If you're gonna, um, you know, not lose your entire edge. Right. So did you ever do any team play with your wife? I did. Um, yeah, we would do some balance counting. Um, so I would I would train her to you know move her bets up and down uh, when when I was playing, and uh, we actually got in quite a few quite a bit of time. She she's a, a psychotherapist, so um, you know she would she would work her her magic and talk to pit bosses. Uh, and, and get, keep, get people distracted and really play the innocent look. Um, she was pregnant also at the time. So that I think helps. Um, so there's just, yeah, it was, it was fun, but she doesn't do much of it with me anymore. She kind of hates casinos. And you mentioned that you still have a job. How much do you actually play now? And do you go on the road or how do you, how does that square with your job and your family life? Yeah. Um, it's, it's tough because I, I still have a local shop that I play at, um, but it's not, it's not counting. And so when I do count, I take my teammate and I about once, I'd say once every few weeks, we could go on a trip and um, we'll hit up a market uh, and get, try and get in about 30 hours in. So I would say, you know, probably getting in three to 400 hours uh, a year right now. Well, you know, when I was able to play at my local shop, I was getting in like, you know, 600 hours a year, it seemed like. Mm. And yeah. when you go on one of these trips, you're gone for three, four days, something like that? And yeah. And your job is flexible enough that, that you can do that. Exactly. Yeah. And some of these places, you know, you know, you calculate the EV, it's um, it can be pretty significant. I mean, you can make about ten to 15,000 a trip just individually. 
Um, now, if the you know table limits are, are higher, which you know sometimes will go two by one thousand, you know you can make you know even more than that as a team. So. Well, but um, at some point, uh, I don't know what kind of job you have, but uh, at some point the EV from your play is more than you're earning at your job. Uh, but I mean, no thoughts about quitting the job to play full time. I've definitely have thought about it. Um, I, my, my job pays pretty well and it's got a lot of, a lot of good benefits. So it, I would need to make, um, I, I don't, and again, I don't know how hard it is to, to make this, but I, I would need to make close to half a million a year in card counting advantage play to, to say, you know what, this is um, this is no longer making sense for me to stay where I'm at. Have you have you had any um, bad uh, back offs or back roomings? Uh, I've had some interesting. I, I, I wouldn't say bad. I mean, I'm I'm the type of person where conflict is not a big deal to me. So, uh, you know, I, I was kind of bullied in high school and it was never a big deal for somebody to, to give me re- rejection. Um, but we've had some, definitely some interesting uh, experiences on the road. Such as? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, one casino, we are actually doing a, a, a team play there. And uh, they had backed me off. Uh, they didn't know, obviously, I was working with my buddy. And so I called him and said, hey, let's uh, let's meet up at our spot, which is uh, um, like down the road from the casino in a private neighborhood. And <clears throat> I decided to get in my car and drive out. And I noticed there's a couple uh, security guards following me and my buddy calls me and we're, we're on the phone and, and I I tell him like, Hey, I can't pick you up at our normal spot. You got to go further down because there's people following me. And so he starts walking down into this like other neighborhood where there's uh, it's, there's like this forest lining the neighborhood and he's walking down the, the line of the forest and I see him there and I start, turning left into kind of this cul-de-sac and the security guards actually don't follow me into the, into the cul-de-sac. They just keep going down this road. And so I pull around and I see my, my friend and I said, Hey, let's get in the car. And he turns around and he says, Holy crap, there's a dead person here. And at that point in time, I was like, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I'm like, what do you mean there's a dead person? He's like, no, there's seriously a dead person sitting here and, you know, laying here in the forest. And literally as he's saying that, there's the security guard comes back around and sees what he's pointing at and just keeps driving. It was the weirdest thing I've ever seen. And so... I said, well, the security guard's gone. Let's just go. Just run to my car. And he's about 100 and 150 yards away. And so he starts running. And as he's running, this the guy who we thought was dead actually gets up and starts kind of like – this is like almost a scene out of like some zombie movie. And he starts <laughs> like – he starts hobbling like down the road, like almost like trying to kind of chase him. And so he gets in my car. Uh, and then we just we just book it and leave. But um, 
I just couldn't believe what, yeah, how crazy that was. <laughs> wow. Um, any back roomings, handcuffings? <laughs> Fortunately, no. Uh, no, no back roomings or, or handcuffings. Um, I was with my, actually with my cousin once at a casino. We were eating dinner and a couple security guards came up and interrupted our dinner and, uh, threatened to arrest us, but, uh, we were able to, we were able to get out of that one. Arrest you for eating dinner? Well, we were doing a team play in the casino and, uh, this is before I knew anything about team play. This is actually one of our first, uh, you know, uh, trips together and I, I was not aware of the, the necessity to keep uh distance so much and so they figured out that we were together and uh yeah they didn't like that so um obviously that's one of your lessons learned are there other things that you wish you had known then that you know now like don't eat with your teammate in the casino restaurant <laughs> um other things that i you know, I, I, I'm, I'm glad I made the mistakes that I made because I now know what I shouldn't do. And I think that you can tell somebody what not to do all day long until you're blue in the face. But unless they, you know, kind of feel it and see it for themselves, they don't fully get it. Um, yeah. And that, that was the case for me. Um, I, I suppose I, if I were to do anything different, I would have probably learned – other plays outside of counting earlier. Um, that's probably the only thing I would have done differently. And, and, you know, going back to golf, uh, you know, I, I, I would probably consider doing more of that in the future. It's just, again, at this point, I, I've been playing golf for so long that it's, it's not, it's just not as interesting to me as the casino world. And again, it comes back. I like winning and taking money from casinos more than taking money from individuals on the golf course. Um, it's such a golf golf is such an ego game. It's, 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 you know, you can really take advantage of someone's ego and make a game to really give yourself the advantage and, and I, and, and win, but it's just not like I, the winning. It doesn't feel as good for me. And the losing doesn't, it feels worse. So it's kind of like a, uh, it's just not as rewarding. <laughs> sure. No, I, I get that. I mean, the other thing that's interesting about that is you can also put pressure on people, for example, by raising the stakes. You know what I mean? There's the whole emotional oh, yeah. aspect of a game that's a physical skill where you also have to have the mental ability to play well and not, you know, not get flustered, not go on tilt. Not, you know, definitely. I mean, when I when I was younger, I would set up games and say, all right, I'll play because these guys were like 13 handicaps. Right. They, you, they wouldn't break 80 very often if ever. And I would play them and say, hey, I will play you straight up your guys's best ball versus my s s single ball. Right. And so by doing that, there's you're, quite, you're you're pretty much saying I'm way better than you. You guys can take your best ball versus mine. But they're they're taking that every time, even though I have I'm the favorite on that all the time. And it's just because they're you're you're kind of questioning their ego. You're basically saying you suck and I'm way better than you, even with with your uh, you know you're taking best you know taking each other's best ball. And 
uh, I would, I would clean up on that all the time. Uh, and it's the same thing in, in when you're playing for highest stakes, I think, you know, at the country club, although I didn't, you know, play for more than a couple thousand bucks, it was, uh, it's just, yeah, it's about raising the stakes and then you can kind of give people crap and utilize that to your advantage. And it's great. Some people do it, make a good amount of money at the club doing it. I just, it's not, it's not something I find as interesting because it's, yeah. You know, the other reason I was interested in it was um, I was actually more interested in most country clubs have card games in the clubhouse after they're done playing golf, um, which is a whole other area for making money. There's definitely a ton of EV there. Um, yeah, we have a we have a local game now because of COVID that the game uh, went online, but there's a ton of gamblers there and there's for sure a, a lot of money to be made there. Um, and yeah, you could like, if I wanted to, I could go out, play golf. Um, most of the time play uh, a good money game and then play cards afterward. And you can add it all up at the end of the day. And it's, it's a good amount of value. Now, cause when you win too much at casinos, they kick you out. Do they ever kick you out for winning too much playing golf? <laughs> Uh, they, they did when I was, uh, at the men's club, they, and this is, again, I think it has more to do with ego than it has to do with money. Um, I was winning consistently and being, you know, 13 or 14 years old at the time, when you have a bunch of 40 year olds, uh, there and they see that a young kid kind of taking their money consistently, uh, they didn't like that. And so they made a rule. And they made a rule basically saying that you have to be 18 in order to compete in the men's club championship. And they did that while I was already in the men's club. And the reason they did that is because the champion of the men's club championship goes off and represents the club in for the whole state. And so, uh, and it was gross. It was a gross event, not a net event. And so they knew I was a huge favorite to win. And so they, they, the board got together and they changed the rules and back, essentially backed me off the men's club. So you could still play there, but you weren't eligible for the, for the championship. Correct. But like the money, part of the money that uh, came from all the, the, the weekend play would actually go towards the men's club championship. So it was like, they were taking money from me that I couldn't, actually recoup and then the saturday games were all net games so it created more of an equilibrium when you have a net game right there's not really that much of an advantage when you're playing a gross game because it's really you can just take your skills against everybody else and knowing if you're if you're if you know you're the best player there you're a huge favorite versus net you know you're not you're not quite getting that advantage well also just like in bat backgammon i'm sure you get uninvited from foursomes that you used to play with where you win too often, right? Like in backgammon, they would bar people from certain chouettes if you were too good a player. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. They definitely want you to be, um, they definitely want you to be a gambler, right? Like anything else you, they want uh, in these foursomes. If you're not willing to give them the gamble then you're, you're not quite as attractive, (laughs) As as the next guy, 
So one of my uh, all-time heroes was a guy named Titanic Thompson, who was a golf hustler. And uh, he was better left-handed than right-handed, and he, but he would play right-handed and then say, you're so bad, I'll play you again left-handed. And um, to your point about they want you to be a gambler, he would do things in the beginning of a match just to make people think he was crazy. So he would bet that he could, like – hit a bird off a wire with his, you know, by hitting his nine iron or whatever, you know, just things that were nuts uh, to show that he just liked to gamble. But um, yeah, but he had all kinds of angles. Yeah. And I think it was also a little unique for me too, because I I was, I I had a lot of notoriety there. I'd won state championships. I was very successful. And I think some of these guys would come up to me and, uh, they, they would they would you know make a game they would make a proposition like hey I can beat you in the next two holes with just my six iron and um, and then you know th- there was there was just like or I would be chipping on the green and they'd want to do a chipping game and you know but I'd have to give them a certain amount of strokes and so um, yeah there was always something like some form of gambling going on. Um, but I think they just wanted to read the newspaper the next day and say, oh, yeah, I played with that kid and I gambled with him, you know, uh, and or I beat him in this game and whatever. Yeah. Uh, see, if it were me, I would be going to you saying, come, you're going to be my partner and we're going to go play these other two guys. And, you know, I, I mean, I, I would think somebody who had some hustle in him would want to be partnering up with you. Yeah, I definitely did do that. I I, I would uh, actually a lot of pros would take me to their um, they had pro ams and so they would take me on their their team and and pay for all the entry fees and everything and I would just go play and uh, help them you know make some money. Um, sure. Now you traveled a lot. Have you had any problems taking money to various casinos? I have not. Um, I played, you know, all over the U.S. and actually a little bit in Argentina. Um, and I have not. And one recommendation I would give there is definitely get TSA pre-check. Um, I, I find that be to be a much easier way to get through. Um, they never check my bags. Um, when I one time the TSA pre-check didn't work on my ticket and I went through the normal route. They actually opened up my bag. Uh, and luckily I had, I had about $40,000 in chips, not cash. Cause I was actually going to cash in chips on that trip. And uh, they just saw the chips and kind of just, you know, didn't, didn't ask any questions. Um, I, I wonder how it would have been if it was cash though. Um, I would go a step further and really recommend getting global entry visa if you do any international travel, which automatically gives you TSA pre in the United States. But coming back from another country, you just fly through customs. I mean, five minutes. It's, uh, you know, it's it's really uh, well worth the hundred bucks it costs to get it. And And actually, you can get it for free with some credit cards. Signing up for some credit cards, you can get that for free. Yeah, no, that's good. Oh, and here's well, I'll, I'll save this for the recommended. So we're ready for the recommended. Yeah. So uh, thank you, uh, Socrates, for talking with us. And the recommended section we have at the end of our shows, and each of us have something today. So Richard, 
What do you have for us in recommended? Right. So I was just recommending TSA Pre. Um, I mean, uh, not TSA Pre, uh, Global Entry Visa. Uh, but here's a part of it that many people uh, are not aware of. So when you sign up for, for Global Entry Visa, you sign up and then you have to wait a few weeks while they do a background check. And then after you uh, get alerted, okay, we finished our background check, now you have to go into a customs office somewhere and they fingerprint you, et cetera, and then you get it. But if you have got to that point where you can make the appointment, if you are coming back to the country and coming through customs, you can just go to that office and they will complete your global entry visa right there on the spot. So uh, you don't have to make the appointment. You don't have to, uh, you know, go through the hassle of going to a customs office to to complete it. So. Do most airports have customs office? I wouldn't say most. There is one in Las Vegas in the Las Vegas airport in Terminal 3. Um, I, I mean, I don't think, it, I think it's more than a customs office. It might be an immigration office. It's, it's some kind of special office. But I, I don't know if they have one, for example, in Reno. So they're not everywhere. So places with global flights. I guess. All right. But I mean, Burbank, for example, has some international flights, but I don't know that they have an immigration office there. Oh, they got to have something in beautiful downtown Burbank. <laughs> My recommendation is uh, the latest book from Malcolm Gladwell called Bomber Mafia. I'm a big fan of Gladwell in general. I know Richard isn't. But this book has little to do with social psychology, which is what he usually writes about. This book is nonfiction history book about the differences in aircraft bombing strategies in World War II. I'm not a history buff particularly, but I do enjoy reading about differences of opinion that lead to strategy changes. Every once in a while, something will come up and a book I have read in the past about strategy will help me uh, and I can apply it to my gambling uh, career. So Socrates, do you have a recommended for our rec for our audience? I do. Um, I just completed reading the book called the Almanac of Naval Ravikant. Um, it's a, I'm a big fan of philosophy. He's a modern day philosopher and entrepreneur and investor. Um, and his book is actually can be, uh, well, you can get it for free, um, online. You can download it PDF, uh, and there's an e-reader. I, I got the real book, uh, on Amazon for like 10 bucks, but, um, it's really a, a collection of his thoughts. Um, and he has some, uh, you know, insightful interviews and it's, it's really, it's not a how to book, but it's more of a, a book of, you know, his thoughts and things that he's done, um, to, you know, create success and, um, and happiness. And I, I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, recommend it to anybody who's, uh, looking to kind of dive deeper into philosophy and, um, getting more out of life. Very good. Uh, thank you, Socrates, for joining us today. Thank you, Richard. Go out and hit lots of royal flushes, everybody. Good day.